And the title of today's message is The Work is worth it. The work is worth it. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, and verse 58 today. And we're going to break that down and just look at it and see what does that uh, mean for our life uh, here today. And so speaking of work, I heard the story uh, recently. There was an employee who went into his boss's office and he said, hey, listen, I've got three companies after me. If I'm gonna stay working here, I'm, I'm gonna need a raise. I've got three different companies who are after me. So if I'm gonna stay, I'm, I'm gonna need a raise. And they haggled for a little bit and, and eventually the boss said, you know what, to the employee, I'm gonna give you a 5% raise. And so the employee left happy and he's excited about it. And later on, his boss called him back into his office and he said, hey, I, I've gotta know. I've gotta know, who are the companies that were after you? Who is like our competition? And he said, well, the companies that were after after me were cable, gas, and electric. And, uh, and so if, if, if you're getting it, you'll get it eventually there if you, if you didn't get it. But, um, you know, work is something that we all do. All of us have work that we do. Some of you might be retired, but you still have work that you complete. You have tasks that you do, things that you're committed to. Uh, and the beautiful thing is, is that uh, when we look at God's word, it takes all of the work that we do and it makes it more meaningful. And it makes it more purposeful. You know, what's so interesting is there was this essayist named Dorothy Sayers, who was a British essayist. And she uh, interviewed a man who, uh, who fought in World War II. And this man told Dorothy Sayers, and she writes in this essay about work, he told her, he said, people, men were so happy serving in the army because for many of them, it was the first time in their life where they felt like they were attached to a bigger purpose. They were doing something that really mattered. They were fighting for a cause that was worthy. And he said, that's why during World War II, so many men were happy to be serving because they were serving a greater cause. And now, uh, the great thing about the Christian life is that we do have the ability to serve a cause that is greater than ourselves, that God has actually welcomed us in to the work of his kingdom. He's welcomed us into the work of this kingdom. And if we took a poll of everyone in this room, I would almost guarantee that every single person here would say, I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to have meaning, I want it to have purpose, I wanna make a difference, I wanna add value to other people. That's something that we want. And thankfully, God's word and what we're gonna look at today, it shows us a pathway of how our work can have meaning and why the work we are doing is worth it. So let's read 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 58 here. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I want to give you, we've been in the book of Mark for a long time now and been uh, trekking through that book. And so uh, today we're kind of jumping into this passage. So I want to leave you a little bit of background information. In the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, who is arguably one of the greatest Christian missionaries of all time, wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. In this book, he is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. So Paul's life, really, uh, it's, it's Hollywood-esque. You could make a, a, a movie out of it. He's been through so many different things, and uh, as he's doing the work of ministry. And so I love what he says here because I think it's kind of a thesis of his approach 
to doing the work of the Lord and living a life that really matters and that has meaning. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is not the last chapter of this book, but it's kind of the close in a major argument that Paul is making. And honestly, uh, it, this, this passage is really, I think, Paul's final charge. In chapter 16, what we see is kind of, a, it, it's important, but it's more housekeeping and some additional details. But in chapter 15, what Paul has been doing is he is arguing about the resurrection of, the, of Christ. And he's saying, he's defending the resurrection of Christ in this chapter. So he is telling the Corinthian believers, some of whom uh, were starting to not believe in the resurrection of Christ, he's saying, hey, this is the most important thing. You have to understand this, that Jesus came to this earth, fully man, fully God, lived a perfect life, was crucified on a cross for your sins and my sins. He was buried in the grave only to raise, be risen three days later. He resurrected, overcoming death and overcoming the grave. And Paul is defending this truth. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is kind of a final charge to the believers at Corinth. And man, I just love the words of it. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Let's walk through this scripture here. Uh, I do want to start out by saying is uh, in, in the ESV, uh, the, the version I've chosen to read, read this out of, I love the way it reads, but I do want to preface that the word brothers here in the original Greek, the manuscript, so if you didn't know, the New Testament was originally written in what's called Koine Greek or Common Greek. And the word Adelphos here, the Greek word Adelphos, is translated as brothers into our English language. And sometimes brothers means like my brother, right? I have a twin brother. That would be my brother. But it also oftentimes means greater than just a brother, but just brethren, all men, all people. And that's why if you're reading in something like the, the New international version, the NIV, it says brothers and sisters. And that's an accurate translation because Paul is writing to a congregation here. He's writing to the believers. He's writing to men and women alike. And I, I want to preface that because I like the way the rest of the verse reads, but it's important to note that he's speaking to all people. Be steadfast and immovable. That sounds like that's something that we should long for is to be steadfast and immovable. What does that mean? To be steadfast is to be fixed in purpose. Could you say that about your life? Could you say, I am fixed in purpose? To be immovable means to be firmly persistent. So to be fixed in purpose and firmly persistent. You know how else I would say that? Is be on mission in an unshaken, unchanging way, regardless of what is going on in situations, circumstances, the world around you is you're fixed on a purpose and you are firmly persist that. And you are abounding what? In the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? We might be, you might be in here today and you're like, what, is, what does that mean? What, what would you do to do the work of the Lord? Like, I'm interested. How do I get on the team? How do I get in the game? To do the work of the Lord. You know, we know that um, one of the things that we're called to as believers is to evangelize and to share the gospel. That's part of the working on behalf of the Lord. We're called to disciple and to equip the saints and to, to build up the next generation. We're also called to build the church and to serve those who are in need, the poor, the hurting, the brokenhearted. Uh, that's what we do. That's the, the work of the Lord. But I think it's much broader than that as well here. What Paul is saying is, in addition to all those different things, is it's really a mindset that you have in life. I think of Colossians 3 that says, set your mind on things of heaven, not on things of earth. When we are focused on eternal things, things of eternal value, it changes everything. 
that perspective that we have begins to change the way we approach the world around us and the work that we are doing. And can I tell you today, no matter your age or your stage or where you're at in life, there is work to do. You know, I think sometimes in Christian culture right now, we shy away from this idea of having a calling, but we are all called to the work of the Lord. And that should be something that when we get out of bed in the morning, we have purpose, we have a mission, we have something to do. Until we take our last breath, we have work to do that we get to do, that we get to be a part of. And that's an awesome promise. And I think that that's what Paul understood. So I challenged people, hey, the joy of the Christian life is found in serving God, and he knew that. And so he challenged us with that. With that. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let's talk about work for a second, right? Let's talk about work for a second. Work is one of those things that is both ordinary and it's amazing, You ever had an ordinary day of work? Yeah, many of you are nodding your head. But work is both ordinary and amazing. Work is both ordinary and amazing. And you know, one of the things that, uh, kind of a a picture that helps me to understand this is the Hoover Dam, if you don't know anything about the Hoover Dam, the Hoover Dam is located in Nevada. And it was uh, first, you know, pushed in 1920 to be built. That's when the discussion started happening to to formulate this dam that would tame the Colorado River. And the Hoover Dam now is this structure that we look at that's still in existence today, still working, still uh, um, providing uh, resources to the region around it. And so the Hoover Dam, it, it started in 1930 was when the building process actually finally began. And it took five years to complete this process. So over the course of five years, the Hoover Dam was built. What's incredible about the Hoover Dam is at its base, right? At its base, you should look up a picture. At its base, it's 660 feet thick. That's the length of, this is, you could say 660 feet to me, and I'm like, sounds big. But when someone said it's two football fields plus, I'm like, okay, that is big. That's how I uh, had some understanding of that. That is a big structure. That is a thick layer of concrete. And actually, there's enough concrete in the Hoover Dam that you could build a standard highway all the way from San Francisco to New York City. Who calculates that? I don't know, but it was on a government website, so it must be true. Um, So the Hoover Dam's big, right? And it took five years to complete this project. 31,000 people worked on this project. You know, now we look at it, and engineers today still are like blown away by this structure and what it's been able to do and what they've, uh, just the, the, the structural integrity of it and how well it was designed. But there were some ordinary days in working on that. You know, I'd imagine some of the people that showed up to pour concrete day after day after day, over 800 days of work that went and took place. It's like, man, there was probably some ordinary days in the midst of that. Now we're pouring concrete again. But if you look at the end result, it's extraordinary. All of those ordinary days built up to be something that is extraordinary. And the Hoover Dam has long since paid for itself. It currently supplies 1.5 million acres with irrigation. 16 million people receive their drinking water from the Hoover Dam. And 500,000 homes are powered by its, by its power, the power that it produces. I mean, it's continued on. The, the, the work that it was laid for those five years has continued to pay dividends. And I think that that's a good analogy and a good picture into what it looks like to work on behalf of the Lord. That very much it's ordinary days, ordinary obediences, 
that over time compound and continue to affect other people. There's many of you in here in this room who your ordinary obediences have changed people's lives in ways that you might not ever know until heaven. I look at my life and there's people that so ordinarily held me in a nursery, that so ordinarily taught me how to read, taught me how to write in elementary school, that did all the ordinary things. My parents, who did very ordinary things daily and daily and daily, but it produces something that's extraordinary. And that's what working for the Lord looks like. Many ordinary obediences stacked up day after day after day, disciplines day after day after day, producing fruit outside, but also producing fruit internally. When we spend time with the Lord, it changes our heart. Worth is both uh, extraordinary, and it's both ordinary and extraordinary. The second thing that we know um, from this is that work will produce fruit. What does Paul say here? He says, your labor will not be in vain. And sometimes I feel like my labor is in vain. But what I have to do is I have to fight the feelings with the fact and the truth of Scripture. And, and in the Scripture, God promises us that our labor on his behalf will not be in vain. That it will produce fruit. That when we, I mean, it's the same as when we abide in him personally in our daily walk, we will produce fruit. When we abide in him in our working, it will produce fruit. If you're like me, sometimes you doubt that. You might struggle with that. You know, one of the things I get to be extremely involved with here at High Street is our young adults ministry. And man, I love serving. And uh, we have so many awesome young adults here and um, just an amazing ministry that's supported by so many of you. And I'm just thankful for a vision for the next generation. And our young adults team back in 2019 had this idea. We're like, what if we do, like, we love what we have here. How can we help to cast vision for that, for other churches, for other ministries? And we're like, one of the things we started thinking about is what if we host this conference, right? What if we uh, had this young adults conference of some sort? Well, we kind of started laying plans, but then the pandemic hit, put a hold on that. But in 2021, we were at a coffee shop downtown for our young adult staff meeting. And uh, as we sat there with our staff and our interns, we started to talk about this again, this dream. What if we had this conference? What if we did this thing? And uh, as being a part of that, it's like, yeah, let's do it. But then the work happens. And then you start having this feeling of like, hey, we're gonna host this. What if nobody comes? We've never done this before. I, I, I don't like know if people are gonna show up and you're kind of putting yourself out there. We don't have a budget for this. How are we gonna pull this thing off? But we felt like it was what God was calling us to do. We felt like this was the work that he wanted for us. And so we began to plug away at it. And I'm sitting there, I, I, can I confess this to you? Sometimes I am like the person of little faith in the room. That's why you need other believers around you who are like, hey, God's called us to it. Let's continue to press on. And I'm like, man, I'm looking at the registrations. Nobody signed up. And I'm thinking, wow, this is gonna be pretty embarrassing. But then the first time we did the conference, it, it comes around in 2021, and we had 336 people register to attend. And fast forward to last year, uh, I start getting that doubt again. I'm like, okay, God, like, how are we going to do this? Uh, and God begins providing speakers and lining out this conference. And we actually had 15 plus churches that we got to pour into last year, and 700 people in attendance at this conference, hundreds and hundreds of young adults gathering on a weekend and seeing a vision not only for what their life could look like, but also letting leaders from other churches see that you can reach young adults in your location too. The work produced fruit. Even when we doubt, 
God is still at work. Even when we're scared, God is still at work. Even when we have fear of what he's called us to, God is still at work. Our work will produce fruit. It will produce fruit. Now here's the reality of this situation, and and I very much uh, understand not all of us are in vocational ministry, right? But all of us are in ministry. And maybe when you think of the work, and we do spend a a vast majority of our time at work or um, doing those things, one of the things is, is like, is what I'm doing really matter? Does what I'm doing really, truly, actually matter? And maybe you're in a position where you're like, man, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like the stage that I'm at. I don't like the people that I'm working with. Can I tell you that if you don't like the people you're working with, that might be the very reason that God has you at a place. You don't like the people that you're around on a daily basis. That might be the very reason God has you at a place. And I would challenge you, if you're very unhappy with where you're at, I wanna ask you, what's your perspective? Is your perspective set on eternal things? Because suddenly when all those ordinary things, it doesn't matter if you're sweeping a street or stacking a chair or making food or filling out paperwork or preparing to teach or whatever it is that you do, all of those ordinary things can have extraordinary value. Why? Because we serve a God in whom we honor him with the way we work, but also through all these different things, we have an opportunity, even in the most smallest, minute ways, to add value to other people. I love meeting you and hearing from you and hearing all the different vocations and things you served in or hearing from those of you who have retired what you did and what you're doing now and how you're serving even in the church, all those things, the ordinary simple things have more meaning and value because we serve a God who has challenged us to honor him with our work, but also we can take all of those simple little things that seem so mundane and meaningless and they can have eternal value when our perspective is set on light of eternity. Because when we have a relationship with Christ, it should always point us outward. And we talk about this thing with our young adults here all the time is that we should have our God goggles on. When you're at your workplace or you're out and about and you're doing your errands or whatever it is that you do, you're seeing people the way that God sees them. You have your God goggles on, right? You're seeing people as someone who is created and made in the image of God. That perspective begins to change things. So all of your interactions throughout the day become more meaningful. When you understand that the Lord is watching you and with you and all of the mundane tasks, they become more meaningful. When you start to see that even the little things can add value to others, it becomes more meaningful. So I challenge you, if you don't like where you're at, I would ask you, what's your perspective? And the reality is, is sometimes we don't like the stage or the season that we're at, and we lack faith. We lack faith, wondering God is... You know, are you gonna provide an opportunity for me? Some of you are in a place where it's not where you're gonna be forever. It's not the stage you're gonna be at or the workplace you're gonna be at or the the environment, the school, wherever it may be. And I wonder if you lack faith sometimes. If you're hating it and every day you wake up with a sense of dread, I would challenge you, do you have faith in the Lord? Do you believe that he does have a good plan for you? Are you able to trust in him with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding? Do you trust that the Lord has a plan for you? What's your perspective? Are you lacking faith? Those are two questions I would ask you. What's your perspective and are you lacking faith? The third thing that I would say is, man, if you're, if you're at a place and you don't like what you're doing or where you're at, is God calling you to something else? Is God calling you to do something else? 
Is God calling you to do something more? Because here's what I get in my own head sometimes is I get that fear come in. I'm like, I can't do this. God, you don't have anything else for me. There's nothing else that you have for me. I lack faith and I get in my own head and I start to wonder and doubt and have fear and it comes in and I'm like, I don't know, God. I don't know, I'm not equipped to do that. I'm not called to do that. You don't have anything better for me. I don't like where I'm at. But see, when we put our faith and restore it and trust that the Lord has something good for us, we can step out in faith. There might be some of you today who need to step out in faith. One of the things that I love here at High Street is our residency program. And we have these residents who commit to serving uh, for 11 months of their life. They're basically committing 11 months of their life to God. And they go through uh, practical Bible courses and, and or practical ministry courses and Bible courses here at church. It's 11 months. Uh, it's an intense program, but it's one that they step out in faith to do. And one of uh, our staff members, Darian Cochran, who uh, you can see her floating around all the time at events and things. I love Darian's story. And I, I, really, this is a common theme with all of our residents, is what I love about Darian is she was a person who she, you know, someone asked her about the residency program. She's like, never gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. And uh, as people began to ask her and continue to talk to her, she started to feel called that she was gonna step out in faith and commit 11 months of her life to God. And now I look at Darian and the growth that she's had and what she's experienced and what she's able to do and how strong of a leader she is. I'm just like, wow, God, you honored her step of obedience. Sometimes God is calling us to step out in faith. You know, back when I was teaching, I was uh, in my second year of teaching. I did seven years total. In my second year of teaching, I was like, I'm done, all right? Kids are crazy. I got my own kids and they're crazy too, but other people's kids are real crazy. Uh, And uh, I was just like, man, God, I'm not happy doing this. I wanna do something different. I was just down about it and I wasn't looking forward to going to work every day and I kind of had a bad attitude. I felt like I was wasting my time. I felt as if God wasn't using me. And in that season, I was listening to a book by an author named Mark Batterson who actually attended Central Bible College uh, back when it was around in Springfield, Missouri, oddly enough. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. now. Mark Batterson wrote this book called Whisper. And it's called Hearing the Voice of God. Um, And it was usually talking about intimacy with God. And I was listening to this book, uh, an audio book, and I remember where I was in my one-bedroom apartment at the Greens over on the north side of Springfield. And he starts telling this story about a minister Back in the day, uh, 19th or 18th century, this minister who uh, was at a small congregation and uh, he had this dream job to be at this other congregation, another church, and he's like, man, if I can ever take that job, I will. Well, that place called him and asked him to come and and to uh, be their pastor. But this minister said he had no peace about it. He had no peace about it. So he said he felt called to something else. He knew he felt called there, but he didn't feel released from where he was at yet. And it was as if God used that to speak to me. Hey, I've called you to a different vocation eventually, but not yet. And that was such a sweet moment for me. Like that's one of those times where in leaning into God, I feel like he spoke to me so clearly. Hey, I've called you to something else, but you're not released from what you're doing yet. 
And so I taught for five more years. And can I tell you, those were the five best years of teaching and coaching that I had because my mindset had shifted and it had changed. And I began to be thankful. And I began to see all the interactions that I have. I began to see all the different influence that I had, that God had provided. And I got to see how I was able to minister in different seasons and circumstances as a teacher, as a coach, the lives that I was able to invest in and pour into. And if I wouldn't have leaned into God, I would have missed it. I'm thankful for a community around me who pointed it to him. That's not a brag on myself. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit working in my heart, I would have missed it. God had called me to something different, but he hadn't released me from where I was at yet. And I don't don't know what that story means to you. I don't know if that encourages you to press on in something. And maybe it is that you're called to something different. But I can sit and say all of the work that I've ever done all the way from whenever I was following Christ in high school and leading a Bible study uh, to college and being involved here at High Street and to every different thing that I've done, it has all been worth it. One of my favorite things in the world is to see uh, so many of you who have been so faithfully serving for so long at this church because without your service, the next generation, those kids who are in Kid Street wouldn't have a place where they could come and grow our youth, our young adults, the next generation is reaping the benefits because of the service that you've done. And until our last breath, we have an opportunity to serve the Lord. You know, there was a missionary named Hudson Taylor and Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission. He went to China and he served there for 54 years. For 54 years, he served in China. He was responsible for helping to bring over 800 other missionaries to China. 125 schools were founded as a result of his work. He served for 54 years. And I saw this quote by him, and it kind of sums up the mindset that I want to have in life as I look at the work of the Lord and the work that I do. And this is what he said. This is the words of Hudson Taylor. I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him do his work through me. I used to ask God to help me. God, help me with what I'm doing. You see me on the mission field, right? Help me, help me, help me. Said he had a mindset shift. I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked him if I might help him to do his work through me. For the rest of my life, that's what I want to do. That's what I want my family to do, is I wanna ask God, God, do your work through me. I'm a vessel. I don't have much to offer, but I'm gonna give you everything. I'm gonna give you everything and say, man, it's yours. Work through me, work through my family, work through the people that are around me. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the passage, kind of as I close here, that Paul was speaking and defending the resurrection of Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus's atoning work on the cross, right? His payment for our sins on the cross, all of this means nothing. But thankfully, we have great hope because of that. And as I, uh, in front of the ordination council, I was able to tell my testimony. And uh, part of my story is that when I was nine years old, I grew up going to a church over on the north side called Hamlin Baptist Church. It used to be over by Reed Middle School. um, and And the sanctuary was in the second level of this building. And I was on the west side of that auditorium on Easter Sunday when I was nine years old. And I'd been talking to my mom about what it looked like to have a relationship with Jesus. I was beginning to be very aware that I was sinful and in need of a savior. 
I knew there was nothing I could do for my sin. And on that Easter Sunday, as I heard our pastor stand up and talk about the punishment that Jesus endured physically and his separation from God in that moment and what he bore on the cross, I thought, man, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And as I did that, I had this moment where it was as if chains came off of my chest and this weight was lifted from my life. I mean, why would a nine-year-old have that other than the Holy Spirit working in you? I didn't have the words or the, the mental ability to make that up and to feel that, but God saved me on that day. And he's been present in my life ever since through the good seasons and the hard times. He's been there with me. And because of him, my life has meaning and purpose. So I would ask every person in here, every person who's watching online, you have an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. And if you've never done that, all it looks like is admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life and died on a cross for you and confessing him as the Lord of your life. I've not regretted that decision one day since it happened. And you wouldn't regret that either. Let's bow our heads and, and let's pray together.